Well, good afternoon. It's afternoon here. It is August 11th of 23, and we're continuing our study in Galatians chapter 3. And the more I get into this, the more, uh, well, I see a lot of things, a lot of things that have been accepted historically without looking at the context of the whole thing. And uh, we might get into that to some degree today. But uh, anyway, it's a hot day today here in Idaho, but that's okay. We're going to, uh, last, last lesson was on the first three verses of chapter three, the three questions. Remember that Paul had asked the Galatians three questions in verses 1, 2, and 3. Number one is, uh, who has bewitched you? Number two, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Of course, then that begs the question, well, if you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, why is there any need for a new covenant? Why is there any need for Christ to come? Why is there any need for any of that? And then the third question is, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? In other words, are you going to try to build... Uh, fleshly attainments upon a spiritual foundation. It doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. The two are obviously diametrically opposed. Now, these questions were, were prompted by the, the Galatians being influenced by false brethren, as in Galatians 2.4, who had to actually come into their number to put the believers back under the bondage of the law. Verse, uh, verse 3 through 5 of chapter 3 continues the question. So we'll read those. We'll pick it up in verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He, therefore, that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So um, the, the questions can continue. Does the flesh perfect you? Have you suffered so many things as believers, if they indeed be in vain? But they're not in vain because there is no vanity. There's no vain pursuits concerning believers. Even though they, they are often given to suffering, that suffering is for their ultimate edification. And a lot of times we can't see that as we are going through the suffering, but... If you understand the sovereignty of God, then it's better for you. It gives you more peace if you understand what's going on. 
Then he asked, uh, he that ministered unto you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do that by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Okay, the whole ministering the Spirit thing was kind of introduced in the New Covenant. Jesus introduces it to Nicodemus, obviously. Uh, it introduces it to the apostles, uh, the spirit uh, in the in the, the pillar of flame and the cloud in the Old Testament was typical, and then of course the spirit in the holy of holies and things such as that nature, and then the the spirit that prompted the the prophets as well. Now, what Paul does now is to go further back, actually before the law. And the reason why he's doing that is, is, is to present a much a broader uh, context for our understanding. And he reviews, Paul reviews, by going back, the covenants that God gave to Abraham. So you go back to Genesis 12, and he says, and it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get out of your country, get away from your kindred, get away from your father's house, and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Go to a land that I will show thee. Okay. Leave the known and familiar for a place unknown that you don't know yet, but I'm going to show it to you. Okay, think about how faith figures into that. We walk by faith and not by sight. Then in Genesis 2, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Okay, a great nation, singularly. Then in Genesis 12, 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So there's obviously two specific directions here. I will make a great nation of thee, singular nation. And then all families of the earth shall be blessed in the plural. Okay, and and it's specific, specifically in the New Testament, uh, all nations, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because of thee or in thee. But why does Paul do this? Why does Paul go all the way back to Genesis 12. Because the question was never about who your parents were. It was always about who God's people are. There is a much larger arena here that is being considered. It's not just Israel. And it was never supposed to be just Israel. Israel was kind of like uh, 
an introduction to the frustration of trying to live under the law just from a carnal standpoint. Now, even though Israel had their part in a larger picture, the scope of God's redemptive plan is not limited to one people or one nation. And, you, and that's why Paul goes back there. All nations of the earth shall be blessed because of all families of the earth shall be blessed because of the. And he goes back there to give them, grant them that context. Then in Galatians 3.6, it says, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was what he believed. Abraham believed God. Now, what was accounted in Galatians 3.6, what was accounted to Abraham? Righteousness. What was the basis of that righteousness? Faith or belief. It was not works. Okay. Galatians 3.7. Know ye therefore that they which are of, and that word of is ex or ex, E-K or E-X. It means out or origin. Know ye therefore that they which are have their origin in faith are out of faith. The same are the children of Abraham. Okay, not, not genealogically, but spiritually. So, two considerations. Are the children of Abraham only those who sprang forth from his loins biologically? Now, I'm going to take you back to John 8. John 8 is actually quite an eye-opening chapter, at least it is for me. Uh, now, concerning the children of Abraham, listen to this discourse that Jesus has with those Jews who believed on him in John eight thirty one. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How do you say then you shall be made free? Okay, they were wrong on a couple of counts. Okay. They were banking on their genealogy, their biology, that they were Abraham's seed. And this is the, this is the whole, the new covenant uh, uh, does not in, involve that. It doesn't consider that. It goes, the context of believers in the new covenant is much, much wider than that. And verse 34 of John 8, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is a servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, to key in on verse 36, if, this, if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, 
my question is, if we were free to choose Christ, if we were free to choose Christ, why do we need to be made free? Okay. Why does that making us free have to come from an exterior source? Because the Son, therefore, makes you free. Okay. And if that's the case, then you shall be free indeed. I know, Jesus goes on and talking to them, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father. Okay, and here comes some fighting words right here. And you do that which you have seen with your father. Now, the implication is, guess what? We're not talking about one and the same father here. And then verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I, ha which I have heard of, of God. Abraham didn't do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus says unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. Okay, that's a, that's a significant statement. A lot of people say uh, they have a God of their father, but they don't, they don't like Jesus Christ. They don't love Jesus Christ. They don't, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Sorry, that doesn't work. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love his son, Jesus Christ. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Now, let me throw this at you. This is just a sidebar here. Neither came I of myself. You need to consider that in your life. I'm not here of my own doing. I'm here for a, a different reason. Okay, and you can go to Jeremiah. You can go to Psalms. You can you can hit Ephesians one. Uh, it, it's all over the place. If you have been given eyes to see, and ears to hear, verse forty-three in John eight. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you you cannot hear my word notice it's not about volition it's about ability it doesn't say you will not it says you cannot hear my word you are of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do okay this is Okay, remember you said you do the you do the work of your father, you do the lust of your father earlier. Your father was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God hears, heareth 
God's words. Now go back to verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. The, the flip side to that is he that is of God. So you are out of the, the your father, the devil, or you are out of God. He that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not because you are not of God. Now there's just two two things there. There's just the uh, the devil and God. You're either the children of the devil or you're a child of God. One of the two. Okay. So uh, are the children of Abraham only those who sprang forth from his loins biologically? Now, what we just read in John 8 obviously refers to the fact that such is not the case. Or, as Paul says here, are the children of Abraham all those who are of faith? As he said in verse Galatians 3, 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of or out of or have faith as their origin, the same are the children of Abraham. Okay? So, if it is one of these, and it cannot be the other in this context, you are either of faith or you are of the devil. Um, you're, you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. So Paul goes back before the law, hundreds of years before the law, and he points out the covenant that God gave to Abraham as being the father of all those who believe. Now, there's a significant verse coming up. I want you to pay attention to it, if you're still listening. Galatians 3.8. Uh, highlight this in your Bible, if you don't have it already highlighted. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through, through and that word is ex or ek, out of that he would justify the heathen out of faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So uh, when was the gospel preached? Uh, Galatians 3.8 intimates that when in, in, in uh, Genesis 12, when God spoke to Abraham, that was the first mention of the gospel. Okay. And these shall all nations be blessed. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through or out of faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And they all nations shall be blessed. Shall all nations be blessed. Verse 9. So then they which be of or out of having faith as their origin are blessed with faithful Abraham. So in that way, it's not biological genealogy, but spiritual genealogy based on faith or belief. Paul says that before the law was even in existence, that God preached the gospel to Abraham. You know, the the first time the Bible uses the word grace, it's in reference to Noah. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, Galatians 3.10. For as many as 
are of, and that word is X or ek, out of, origin, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that doeth not in all things, that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So the law then was all-inclusive. If you offended in one point, you were offend, you offended in all points, and you are guilty of all. All-inclusive. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So you're not just guilty of that one infraction. You get the whole wheelbarrow full. Okay? What then? In the new covenant might be a superior element far above the all-inclusiveness of the law. And that element is contained in one word. And that word is grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. But coupled with grace is the new man. The new man. So the construct is this. Here's the natural carnal man, unable to keep all the law, and was guilty of it on a daily basis. And if you look at Romans 2, even the Gentiles fell under this. The Gentiles, having not the law, did by nature the things contained in the law, were a law unto themselves. So there were still standards in place anyway. So a natural carnal man, unable to keep all the law, and was guilty of it on a daily basis, as opposed to the new man inhabiting the old man as treasure in earthen vessels, who this new man is not flesh but spirit. It was this of what God spoke to Abraham about in Genesis 12. Now we hit Galatians 3.11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith, not by obedience. Okay, that's earth-shaking to the Orthodox Jew. Just like the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus said, well, let him that is without sin among you cast the first stone. They all went away. Okay, earth-shaking, that's what we're talking about. So in the sight of God, no man in performing the deeds of the law can find justification. He cannot set himself at liberty from his own nature or his own works. He has not that ability. Those who are justified live by and again, that word is ex or ek, out of. They live out of faith. Those who are justified, those who are cleared of guilt, live out of faith. Faith is a possession of those who have been born again. And it is listed as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Galatians 3.12, And the law is not of faith. 
that's a slam that's a slam dunk right there the law is not of faith doesn't come from faith but the man that doeth them shall live in them those who practiced the law lived in the law and i would dare say they lived there until by the grace of god they were rescued out of it and if it wasn't his purpose to rescue some out of it then they don't get rescued because it's not works it's not works this is a fundamental foundational thing that paul's preaching here is not works it's grace it's faith and the law is referred to as the carnal commandment in colossians 2:14 paul's writing about christ and what he did in verse 14 it says he he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and he took it out of the way nailing it to his cross that's what christ did with the law okay you that's why you're not under the law anymore however if you're orthodox jew and you don't accept christ as the savior as the messiah if you want to totally ignore isaiah 53 uh, the word emmanuel god with us would prophesied uh, uh, out of bethlehem shall come uh, that prophecy how many places in the old testament prophesies of jesus christ and how many instances are recorded in the new testament that those prophecies came true and many still will not and cannot believe so the law is not of faith its root was not faith but paul says it was a schoolmaster to bring us under the christ or to bring us unto christ the law demanded perfection if you so lived as to not violate it but none could do that. As when Jesus confronted those who brought the adulterers to him. The law gave us the lesson that the natural carnal man could have the laws prescribed by God on tablets of stone. He could have that. But he could not find within himself the ability to completely obey them. That's the conundrum. Now, this is where the superiority of the new covenant shines. The new covenant simply houses the new man in the old body. We have seen the old body is incapable of obedience every day. So the new birth puts within the natural man, the spiritual man. The law shows the carnal man's inability. Grace exhibits the superiority of the spiritual over the carnal for even after the carnal house dies, the spirit abides forevermore. So we go to Galatians 3.13. Christ 
hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. It's a curse. As we said in read in Colossians 2.14, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, it was contrary to us. It was a curse. Christ he redeemed us from that, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now us, of course, the context of this is being in the context of Paul speaking to the churches of Galatia. There were a number of churches in the region of Galatia he was, he was writing to. Christ gave himself to be a curse for us. So in this, in Christ giving himself to be a curse for us, in this, within us, in all that we are and were and shall be, in all of our sins, our transgressions, our trespasses, in all things within us that work iniquity, Christ carried to Calvary. It is that which he bore upon Calvary, my sins, my transgressions, my trans trespasses, all the things in me that worked iniquity, he bore on Calvary. And it's called many things. It's called an intercession. It's called a vicarious sacrifice, an atonement, a reconciling, a rescuing, a deliverance, and it's all that. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that the depth of this may be to each of us right now unfathomable because God commanded his love towards us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In John 3, we saw that the new birth was a mystery to Nicodemus. And you let, let's look at Nicodemus for a minute, a master of the law, right? He's looking square into the face of the one who is about to take it away. He's confronted by something he had no answers for. Many of you might be a Nicodemus, a master of the law, looking square into the face who's about to take it away. What would he do with that? Confronted by something he had no answers for. Galatians 3.14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, not works, not obedience. So in verse 8, In thee shall all nations be blessed, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. The blessings of Abraham. Now, let's talk about Abraham. We talked about Nicodemus. Let's talk about Abraham. Uh, initially, his name was Abram. He's not changed to Abraham until he became a father of many. 
Okay, let's consider Abram. Was he Jew or Gentile? Hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> there, there weren't any Jews at the time of Abram. The distinction as to what made Abraham a Jew was the covenant that God would make with him in, as a great nation. So this covenant was made concerning the nations that showed that the second covenant, the new one, would not consider heritage as both covenants were given to Abraham or to Abram, both as a Gentile and also as a future Jew. Now, in Genesis, uh, I'll just take a side trip here. We'll go back to Genesis 17. Just for a moment. Interesting thing here. In verse 10 and 11, God talking to Abraham. In verse 9, God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, and your seed, or your, your heritage after you. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between you and me. So that's why circumcision figured so heavily in this, this Judaizing thing that was going on at the time that Paul was writing to the churches of Galatia. So again, you refer to Genesis 12, 1 and 2, the promise of the covenant and Genesis 17, 10, and 11 is the sign of the covenant or a token of a covenant. And the token is a signal or a flag or a monument or evidence of the covenant. And that token was circumcision. So the false brethren of Galatians 2, 4, to bring into bondage was to put the believers under the bondage of the law. And that's... The deal was the, the main deal was circumcision. You must be circumcised. Okay. Now, I want to take you to a kind of an interesting scripture in Colossians two. Look at the way that Paul addresses this. Colossians two. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So disregard the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world and follow Christ. Verse 9, for in him that is in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Get that. In Christ dwells all the, uh, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, number 10, verse 10, and you are complete in him. Present tense, notice, 
and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom, and this is where Paul ties this circumcision in, okay, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So that's what circumcision actually was a picture of. The forecoming of Christ, verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, which has raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Okay, so you're dead in sin. Not only that, but you're not even Jews. Okay, they're obviously Gentiles, most of you, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Well, I've already read that. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So then this, this token of the new covenant was a circumcision made without hands. So circumcision was the type, you see, in the Old Testament, it's the type, but it was showing you something, okay? Showing you something. There's a whole lot of stuff in the Old Testament that were types and shadows that show us things that were, were coming. And it's like, okay, you're the you're the regular common in the in the times of uh, when the, the Jews were wandering the wilderness before they inherited the promised land you saw the you brought your your sacrifice to the door of the tabernacle which which faced east and you offered your sacrifice for your sin and you you saw the poor creature was his throat was slit or whatever and then he bled out there on the altar and you miss the whole thing. You miss you miss the whole concept. You miss the concept of the innocent dying for the guilty. Something that had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with your sin or your trespasses, dying, shedding its blood for you. Miss the whole thing. You see, decades, years and years and years of that. And it goes right over their head. All those things. Well, how can you miss it with the Passover in Egypt? How could you miss it? The deliverance came because the blood was applied. There's so many things in the Old Covenant that point to Jesus Christ. And that's the journey that Paul is taking the Galatians through. Look back. If you look back, you see that which confirms the present. That's what I exhort you to do today and every day. I hope this has been a blessing to your heart and your spirit today. Thank you for listening. May God bless you. Is my prayer, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, may God bless you and yours in his grace and mercy. Thank you for listening.